0: From the Side podcast is delighted to be supported by our two main podcast sponsors, Fields Joinery and AFC Nosley. Fields Joinery is one of the arms of the Fields Property Group and whether you are a commercial or a residential customer, no job is too small for these guys. If you are watching on YouTube, all of their social and website links are on the screen now. However, if you are an audio-only listener of the podcast, do head over to fieldspropertygroup.co.uk. That's fieldspropertygroup.co.uk. This is where you can find all of their social links and get in touch if you do need any work doing. Do not forget, no job is too small for these guys and we would like to thank Fields Joinery for sponsoring the podcast from day one because it really, really does go a long way. We'd also like to thank AFC Nosley for sponsoring the podcast. AFC Nosley is a fantastic grassroots football club which has teams ranging from age six all the way up to the first team, including a disability team and a women's football team also. All teams play out at the Lord Derby Pavilion in Heighton, which is a £1.6 million complex, which is a fantastic addition to the grassroots football scene within this city. AFC Nosy have also been kind enough to allow us to use their facilities to continue recording our podcasts on a weekly basis with all of our fantastic guests. I think you'll agree they look absolutely fantastic on camera and even better in person. So if you do have a spare weekend, do get down to the Lord Derby Pavilion and support this fantastic local grassroots football club. If you are watching on YouTube, all of their social and website links are on. On the screen now however if you are an audio only listener of the podcast do head over to afcnosley.co.uk that's afcnosley.co.uk from the side podcast we'd like to extend its thanks again to fields joinery and afc nosy for supporting the podcast from day one it really does go a long way and we hope that you enjoy the episode hello and welcome into the from the side podcast in our new home of afc nosy so we'd like to thank afc nosy for being one of the main sponsors of this podcast alongside fields joinery going to be seeing a lot more of us Within this little setup, which is quite cool, and it's me, and, me, Matthew, and Jay. And as always, Jay, you can introduce our guest.
1: Uh, yeah, so just to introduce him, uh, Dave McNabb, formerly of Rylands. Nice one for coming on, Dave. Nice one, mate. Nice one for having me. Um, so we always start off, and the first question always is to be fair um, how did you get involved in coaching? So, was back when you were younger, or was it, did you just fall into it, or was it always the plan, or what? Uh, I don't think it was ever planned, it was more around wanting to
2: stay in the game, obviously playing, um, coming towards an end, getting a little bit old, a little bit fatter, a little bit worse. Um, I was at Witness at the time, uh, and, and a fellow called Stevie Hill was the manager, um, no longer with us unfortunately Stevie, but he was probably the best coach we have ever had. Um, and he made me look, as, as an experienced player at the time, he made me look at the game in a little bit different different way. Um start to understand that a little bit more around shapes and strategies and identities and stuff and I think that's what gave me the little bit of buzz to get into coaching and management Yeah, um, and then from there went into, obviously into grassroots and then into non-league.
0: Did it just start off, where, tell us what your coaching journey then from, from the start before you got to Ryland?
2: So I was doing a little bits and pieces at, at, at witness at the time, we were in the counties um, in the first division and then <coughs> Obviously, that with the first team or with the kids. Yeah, or? with the first yeah. team. Yeah, um, and then I went back and played for moved to play for Ford's Ford Motors in the Cheshire League. Did a little bit of coaching there um, into Rainhill again, mainly as a player. And then the first team manager resigned, um, and the, the reserve team manager Phil Burton at the time stepped up to the first team and got a call off the chairman. Uh, for Rainhill and said, basically said that, that Phil had, had said he should be the manager for the reserves so took over the reserves a sort of player manager at the time which was, was good because it, it almost bridged that gap between obviously ending your playing days and yeah. getting into the coaching and management side and we had a decent side as well at the time within we the Ch- uh, Cheshire League third division uh, won the league that year and um, and then from there I went on to Billings where I was doing my UA sort of coaching and, and moved into Billing in the Cheshire Prem. And then we, we finished the season quite well. Um and then the the the, the Rylands call came and moved over to Rylands and, and obviously had had really four really good years there.
1: Yeah. When um, when you first started, so you say like you don't was you just like helping out and just stuff like with um witness, did you was it then that you thought, "Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get involved in this. This is something that I want to do long term."
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, like <clears throat> a lot of Steve's these sessions were really structured in terms of, that, of a lot of the stuff that we that we do now, or we, we did at Rylands, and sort of later on the coaching journey. Obviously, when you when you start that, doing that yourself. Th- you get the size yeah. of the pitch wrong, you get like the restrictions wrong or, or, or the certain elements of the session and you obviously you learn from them. I don't think that you can have a bad session in coaching. Obviously, we've all had nightmares where it sort of felt a bit, a little bit, and you can see the players' faces turning a little bit and that's when you know that sometimes the best thing to do is just stop it and, yeah. and reassess and get back going. But yeah, it, it was almost like that buzz of trying to improve people, um, trying to help people out, trying, trying to help them on their journey as a player. Yeah. Um, but the management side was always the bit that interested me the most more than
1: the coaching. Because there is like a massive difference, isn't there, between coaching and managing?
2: <clears throat> yeah, it is. And, and look, at, I don't think
1: one's necessarily less or, or more
2: than the other. I think it, it's just where your skill set lies and what it is you want to do. Yeah, um, I've met some... some fabulous coaches along the way and you know I mean, some people who are fantastic coaches but they're probably not made to be managers and vice versa you know there's some great managers out there and get them on a the coaching pitch they're, they're not they're not not the best and i probably put myself in that bracket and um, I don't mind coaching but I don't get massive enjoyment out of it you come mm. across these coaches who they love it and they love and breathe for it and live for it but I, I'm not really that type um I will coach and I'm happy to coach but I don't get massive love from it
1: you're more just happy just like standing back and observing
2: and stuff like that. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of the way we used to work was obviously th- th- all the sessions to be planned, they always have to have an objective, um, always be around the identity that we wanted to sort of portray on the Saturday. So a lot of the planning, that's where I got involved mostly around the planning of the sessions up front and then obviously um assessing how, how, how successful they were at the back end. But yeah. a lot of the time, certainly at Rylands I let the coaches coach.
0: To speak, to speak On Rylands, then, um, what was it like when you got the call from them? Because obviously, massive club, had a good project. What was that like getting the call off them?
2: Yeah, it, it was a tough decision really at the time because I hadn't been at Billings long um, and I really enjoyed it. We, we just won the, the Guardian Cup, the Warrington Guardian Cup. We'd finished third or fourth in the league, but we finished the league very really strong. Um, and the plan was we were going to stay there for the, for the following season, but then. Obviously, the, the opportunity came up at Rylands and they'd just been promoted. and Rylands were in the same league as Billings. Billings, think, I said, finished third or fourth, I think it was. And then Rylands had finished sort of 11th in, in that season, but been promoted by the fact that they had um, planning permission for the lights and, and the ground improvements. So it was almost like a chance to, to step into that league. And I just thought to myself, you know, even though I, I'm probably going to put myself out of my comfort zone a little bit that's where I want to try and be and try and test myself and push myself so it just sort of seemed to fall into place. Um, I first went in with, with one of my good mates called Stu Wellstead, um, he was coming to the end of his playing career, he just won the, the county's he's with run call limits and he he came in we sort of did joint manager, he was still playing at the time as well so it was all, he was almost like the, the first signing, it was, it was a good start because he's a th- 30 goal a year striker
1: so... <coughs> Sorry, just <laughs> Um What's it like when you like with that? Because obviously you're at Billings. What's the process behind that? So, did he call you first, or did you got to speak to the club first? Because obviously higher up the pyramid, you've got to obviously get permission to speak yeah. to someone. But is it like that? That further down, or
2: would just I think just it does. It does normally work like that. Uh, in this circumstance, it was almost obviously Stuart that had initial conversations with Rylands around coming in. I think. Um, he was obviously a little, bit, a little bit conscious that if he still wanted to play, it's a tough task to do both yeah. at the same time. Um he's never done he's never had any management or, or real coaching experience either. So um he gave me a call and he said, Would you be interested? And I said, Well, be interested. Initially I said no, and then he, he phoned back a couple more times, said right, okay, let's have let's have a chat and let's sit down with the fucking
1: peer pressure. Yeah, basically, yeah.
2: <laughs> basically, yeah. So we went down and, and obviously met the chairman and, and the, the committee it was at the time, obviously got got blasted for, for an hour or so with questions and whatever else and there was a little bit of a needle because we played against Rylands in the cup and uh, we'd actually played an eligible player. And he, and he scored, and we went on to be, to win the cup. So we beat them in the semi final, and what went on to win the cup. So there was a few questions about. about che- when you yeah. in. <laughs> A couple of questions about cheating, and yeah. our way to the, the the sort of cup final. But did
1: you have to like put like a um, like a presentation together or anything like that to say like this is how this is how we want to play or this is what? No, it was quite bringing. relaxed
2: to be honest. Um, they did ask around style of play and what it is we were looking for and wh- what they thought we could achieve and, and obviously the, the questions around budgets and, and that yeah. type of stuff. But yeah, it was quite relaxed. Um, like, so you always feel nervous when you're going in for like an, any type of interview. Anything yeah. that you want to yeah. be trying to achieve, you're yeah. always going to have an element of nerves, which is good. Um, but yeah, once we once we got in there, we settled quite quick, and it was just about trying to put our, our ideas across to the club and you know, particularly the chairman and and, and the board at the time and. Obviously, we got the we got the green light to go and give it a go.
1: And well, so you'd obviously get, as you said, then you get the green light. You go when you go to the first training session, and you do obviously the session and stuff like that. Did it? Your plans change st- like instantly, or was it always? Did it for everything yeah. follow like flow? No, it was like? a
2: bit of a t- it was a tough one because, like I said, they would finished. I think it was eleventh out of fourteen teams in in um, in the Cheshire League. So. Clearly, a step onto the counties, the, the the current playing group. On the face of it, weren't good enough to go and go and try and then compete in in, in the league above. Yeah. You know, it, it's simple as that. Um, it's not it's not always quite like that simple. Obviously, with players, you, you can obviously get a little bit more out of them. Um, but on the face of it, we, we knew we'd have to make some changes, but we wanted to give the lads a, a chance. You know, there might have been a couple of players in there who were who were good enough and to stay with us long term. So we we obviously had a meeting with the with the current group and said, look, you'll all get your chance. Um, training starts on such a date and a few of them turned up not many so the first training session was a bit of a car crash Um we brought a few lads there but we didn't have many yeah. we had no the club didn't give us any balls we had no training equipment luckily i had a few bits in my car from when obviously <laughs> coaching at, at rainhill and billings so it was it was a tough start it was like welcome to the real world you know yeah. what i mean you've got to get out there and, and sort your own sort of stuff out and and move things forward but we always had plans and, and, and term, clear plans in terms of what we wanted to play what type of shape and, and what type of team we wanted to be so we targeted players we brought some really good lads in and the way that we sort of approached it because the budget was I know people talk about Rylans and money and stuff but the budget was really small it was 250 quid a week all in
1: Yeah.
2: so lads were on 15 quid you know what I mean and 20 quid and then if they were sat on the bench you'd get an half it was, it was embarrassing at times giving lads 7 pound 50 in an envelope you know what I mean the <laughs> envelope's fucking rattling and that but. <laughs> That that's where we were at the club and you know these things probably made it sort of a lot of the learning experience along the way made you what you what you are now yeah. so we brought lads in in groups of sort of two or three from different clubs from in around the West Cheshire and the Cheshire and the Liverpool County Prem and that's how we sort of brought the squad together for that first year
0: Do you reckon you still would have went to Ireland then if Billings would have went up as well?
2: Er uh, I don't know a good question possibly not um, because my aspirations, I didn't have. I certainly had no issues with Billings. Uh, I was working with the, with a fellow called Jeff Parr, who's who's a great lad. Got a ton of respect for him. Still speak to him now. He's a good lad. Um, and there was no issues at, at Billings at all. So it wasn't like it was trying to get a new club to because I wanted to move on. It was just that that step into the into the counties really that, that I wanted to try and take and push myself.
0: You mentioned as well loads of people talk about the islands and the money and stuff like that. Is that something you found going into games and stuff people thought like oh Ryland's really doing this because they have got all the money behind them and stuff like that
2: Yeah you do and, and, and look I think sometimes you've got to feed off that we, we found ourselves in a position where a lot of people disliked us and didn't really know anything about the club and how it, how it was structured um, you know you lose a game you're getting comments from fans support, who support Gateshead and you think I've never, never even played <laughs> Gateshead like, why, why yeah. are you made up we got B3-0 you know <laughs> what I mean like what's going on here Well look it, it it's part of the territory. I think there's always gonna be people in any walk of life where if you're doing things well, there's always gonna be people who will find an excuse for why you're doing it well. There is an element of it where I think it, it it's lazy, you know what I mean? It's we worked hard. We yeah. worked hard and that's the top and bottom of whether, whether we're any good or not, I don't know. That's for someone else to judge, but we worked our nuts off. You know what I mean? We were going out, we were watching games, yeah. we were we were constantly trying to improve ourselves in terms of the training sessions and how we applied that structure the organisation was through the roof so look people will always say oh it's because you had money or because you had this or because you had the best facilities or whatever it is people will always try and sort of score down down score people a little bit but there's an element of it some of it is probably true some of it's a little bit lazy but I, I know what we did in terms of the amount of effort and work that we put into it yeah
1: so i've been to the Rylands and it is that it's a it's actually a brilliant setup with you being. Yeah. No, now I didn't. Never went like previously. Obviously, air and when yous were doing well and yeah. promotions and stuff. But it's actually a really good setup. But stuff like that doesn't. It doesn't come for free, does it? it you've got to put the effort in. No type of thing.
2: Doesn't come for free, and it doesn't happen overnight as well. I think obviously on the on the day that we walked in through the through the door on the first time, like that summer was it was horrendous in terms of the heat. The pitch was burnt. It was bones dry. Yeah um they had two dugouts a little tiny stand on the far side and that was it it, it you know it wasn't any areas because the facility were in yeah. here today so the pitch was horrendous and literally the first season it was known as the graveyard you know, what I mean? you know got let them get them on the graveyard we were playing southport in the cup, and it was like they, they offered us to move it to to their ground we're like now nah, let's get them on the graveyard let's see if they can <laughs> handle this but that you know that's what it was but the facilities have developed massively over time and I think that's that's something that obviously the club's achieved um, massively and it's not an easy thing to do like when you're going through planning permission it's not a case of just being able to go and source funding yeah. to the FA and grants and then obviously sponsorship and that type of stuff, it's actually being able to get the legalities and, and, and the other things in, in, a, in, in a row really where you can go and get things done. Mm.
1: I know that's what um obviously where we are now, the next step is to get the stand standard the front lighting yeah. but I think they're like Stumbling a little bit with the same type of thing. It's hard. Look, I think the
2: FA obviously makes a lot of funding available, whether it's coming from the Premier League or whatever the sources. So it is good. It's just very difficult to tap into because everyone wants it. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's the life life soul of the, the community. A lot of these clubs and to, to go and try and get money, you never get it all. You only get a percentage of normally about sixty, seventy percent. You got to find the rest of yourself. So. When you're talking about something like a floodlight installation or a stand, it might cost you 50 grand to 100 grand. You even only finding 30% of it, it's big for a club yeah. like this, which is charging lads fa- a fiver to play footy.
1: Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, F5Rs then. Take us through the run with that.
2: So it was um, a bit of a strange one, all in, really. So the the season before <coughs> had obviously been curtailed a little bit early um, it was in the sort of March time I think or February time um, obviously COVID so the season had almost been stopped and declared null and void which was a little bit disappointing for us at the time because I think we were in second um, at the point it stopped we played 28 games we were in second place looking at you know at the back to back promotions and it got stopped and then obviously the COVID was in was in fucking main flight then so we was not, not, not avoided, wasn't it? Yeah, it was not
1: avoided, yeah. yeah.
2: That must have been a killer. Yeah, it was. I mean, we were like I said, we were in second second place and it was looking, it was top three go up and we were thinking, oh, we've got a chance here. Um, so it was disappointing. And then obviously going into the next season, we didn't know whether the season was going to go ahead, whether it was going to start on time, whether it was going to finish late. And I think... We probably started back, I think they allowed us, the government allowed us to start back training in, a, in June, July, whatever time it was. Oh, it was on it.
1: So They come out, didn't they, with the fucking rules of you can only train in groups of six and yeah. you can't be within a certain distance of each other. You can't do it in where there's public art and you can't do this, you can't do that. And it was like, just let us play football. Let us play football, yeah. yeah. been like, what, what four months yeah. Locked,
2: locked in and then they're coming out and saying you can't do it in more than six and all that. So when we first come back, obviously I think <coughs> probably the longest pre season in history, it felt like it was about six months long. <laughs> where you just literally just, you know, passing the ball in between two of you because you know yeah. you do it in pairs initially, and then obviously we, it got into sort of working it, it as as a full group. So we started the season, I think it was round about September, October time, so it started late. So we, we'd only played we'd played the the FA Cup, the FA Vars, first couple of rounds, um, we had a decent little run. Uh, obviously, going in the Vars, we played five league games. I think we won four, drew one, and then we went back into lockdown again.
1: In November. Wasn't yeah, it,
2: it? yes, yeah, so we went back into no- lockdown. I think it was November, and then I think we we got told that it was gonna they were gonna open back up, but they weren't gonna restart the league. So I think it was round about, I think it was about March time, wasn't it, for end of February, March, basically, yeah, that yeah. he said, uh, obviously the country's opening back up, the leagues basically said, we're, we're ending all the leagues, I think it was everything from step three down, and then step two followed, probably yeah. a month or two later, step one finished, and, and, and obviously the, the football league and the Prem finished, but, so we'd had basically three months off, so we come back for like, there was a second or third pre-season of the season, um, got the lads back in, different levels of fitness, obviously some had been Doing stuff, we had all the the WhatsApp groups, you know, like you've got to go and do a 5k run and all that type of stuff. Strava groups, you know, Mm -hmm. it was that time where it was difficult. You know, you'd have a lad who'd have one kettlebell trying to do everything, you know what I mean? So the the levels of fitness were massively varied across across the group. So again, we come back and it was like in little groups of two or little groups of six, and then it was like the full squad just trying to build the fitness back up more than anything. We signed a couple of lads on because obviously their seasons had finished just as back up because obviously with injuries and everything else that was going on and then it I think what made it feel a little bit better is it I can almost liken it to like being on an international camp you know what I mean like the World Cup when England go away or whatever yeah, yeah. because you couldn't do anything else in your personal life it was like literally you go to work you come home we were allowed to go and play footy, yeah. and that was it. You went; no one really was really going to booze at all for a to eat because it felt like it was more hassle to do that those type of things yeah. than not. Because you know, you can you know, only sit there; you got to sit down. You have food with your pint and yeah. all that type of cake. cake yeah, yeah. so it was all that type of stuff. So if it did feel a little bit different, it felt like we were like in a camp, and I think that brought the tightness of the group um, even more so. The first game back, we went up to Shildon. It was an away game, no fans, literally just players. They were told we were only allowed so many staff, we were only allowed like the chairman, the secretary, and one other member at, at, at the board, and all that type of cape. And we went up, up to Sheldon and we got absolutely battered. We got battered. Honestly, I think any cup game, any cup competition that you've ever won over the years, whether you've been a kid or, or or an adult, I think you look back, there's always been one game where you think we were lucky to get through that. And that was definitely ours, Shilden. Um Podge made a great save. Well, he made a number of great saves in in, in the game. He, he saved a penalty during the 19 minutes. Finished equal and then we went on to penalties and we won on penalties. Um, then we had a couple more games from North East teams. Um, we played West Auckland, went, then got, got through that and um, it was just starting to build momentum and the, and the feeling around the group, you could almost feel like it, not necessarily thinking about Wembley or winning it at yeah. that point, it was just like it It almost became everyone's release because like I said, like everyday life was, a, was just was was shit, wasn't <laughs> it? It was no other way to say it, everything was just a little bit shitter than what it used to be. You know, even going to work, you'd almost like hate going to work even more because you thought, I can't do nothing when I come home and obviously we, were, we, we, we built it, there was lads sort of coming back from fitness um played Longridge at home. Uh went 1-0 up in the f- about seven minutes. Got a man sent off a minute later. Caines Drummond got sent off a minute later. So we literally played the full game, 80 odd minutes, 90 minutes with uh with ten men. Managed to come through the game 2 1 um and kept moving forward. Uh the quarter final was a was a big game. We played Heburn and that they'd won, they'd won the competition. Um, the year before, yeah. well, the week before for the last seasons, if that makes sense. Oh
1: yeah, like, I did, like yeah. the late final thing.
2: So we meant to be playing them on a Saturday, and they were in at Wembley on the Monday, in the bank on the bank holiday Monday. So they actually moved the quarter final to the following Saturday. Yeah, um, which probably helped us because I think they were all pissed <laughs> for, for three or four <laughs> days after they day. won on the final. So they almost played last year's final on the Monday, and then travelled up towards the to playoffs on the Saturday.
1: Um would mad to deal with that
2: mentally, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I, look, I think there's two elements of it. There's the elements of you've been pissed for three days, four mm-hmm. days, whatever it is, and trying to get the, you know physically right to try and compete in, a, in another big game. Sometimes mm-hmm. when you win a game 40, it doesn't really matter, does it? You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you've got that sort of behind you where you've won. You just won at Wembley. You, there's no more sort of confidence that you can have than yeah, that. Yeah. But anyway, we, we we won the game. Moved on to the semi-final. Luckily enough to have a, another home draw. Um, played Walsall Wood in the semi-final. Another close game. Again come through that. And obviously that feeling at the end really when, when that full-time whistle went was just, it was just something else. I think for certainly for me it, it was more a, a relief than anything because like I said because of the lockdown and all the issues that we were having with lockdown I just felt the from a family point of view, all I was doing was work footy, work footy, and everything was just about the VARs and thinking about next Saturday, next Saturday, and everything we need to do beforehand. And and we hadn't had any fans at this point. There were still no fans, so it was almost like, you know, your partner, your kids, family, they can't actually come and watch the games, and and you're going through this rollercoaster by yourself, all of the lads, and there's nothing around. And obviously, we have been told before that if the final was on such a date, there would be some fans allowed so when when that full-time was when the semi-final, it was more almost like a massive release to think like we can actually go and not just do something special in terms of getting to Wembley, but actually shared it with friends and family yeah, I think yeah. it was massive. I think that was a, was a massive, massive feeling for us. <coughs> um,
1: I always remember me, it was like, there was games of footy happening and people could go into like the clubhouse and watch, but they had to close the blinds to the pitch that to be watched on the telly yeah. that was one of the fucking mad rules that they had
2: there was all kinds of stuff that come in at different points wasn't it I think um, I don't know who, who was thinking that it. it was like a social experiment wasn't it yeah. you can't come up with the craziest <laughs> idea and watch people doing <laughs> it but uh, yeah that, that semi-final was was something else I think just getting through that was it almost felt like you'd won the competition by then because you're thinking it, it's about going to Wembley mm. it, it's just a, an experience that obviously a lot of people want to try and achieve
0: before we touch on, on the Wembley and the feelings and that, just the side you had that year going to Wembley tell us about that because you had some special players in it didn't you, Like even players now who have actually signed a, a professional clubs off the back of it and stuff.
2: Yeah so obviously the the, the standout one's Elliot Nevitz in terms of where, where he is and what he's achieving now um, but our, our atta- the, the attacking players we had on that side were frightening um, with Elliot Nevis, Kane Drummond who's still at Rylance now um, and we had Steve Milne as well so raw pace power, they had a little bit of everything a bit of horribleness, no technique it was it was really, really good attacking intent um, midfielders wise, we would normally play with the likes of Sam Sheen likes to get stuck in, put his body in Joe Coveney was like a Rolls Royce, he was, um, came through the ranks at Man City, signed Pro Forest and then dropped into non-league. He's out uh, in Australia now at the minute, playing up there. Unbelievable player, uh, Charlie Doyle. who was massive legs, technically better than what people give him credit for. But loads of legs got about the pitch, won the ball back, loads of turn, won, won loads of sort of regains. And then obviously defensively, we were really strong and solid defensively. It was what we always tried to build on. I think. Um, throughout the season if you look at the number of clean sheets the club kept and the side cl- kept over the over the different years I think it was 24 clean sheets in the first season it was um, it was the cornerstone of what we ch- wanted to try and achieve obviously we wanted to play attack on football and be progressive but it was always about trying to keep them out the other yeah. end as well um, club captain Gaz Kenny I always said that the day he retired the day I retired because I don't think I could ever replace him he was that good the way he read the game didn't, I've still never seen him lose a header to this day but um, and he was exceptional, a massive leader for us. Um, and then, obviously, in goal we had we had the crazy man in Podge. Um, everyone needs one, don't they? It's normally the goalie. Normally the, cat, yeah. normally the goalie, like so. <coughs> yeah, so we had some good characters in there as well. I think that that's what people probably don't see from the outside looking in. People see good, good, good players. You know, yeah. players who are, who are easy on the eye. people who score goals and whatever. And they're the names, but the characters in the dressing room were, 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 were massive. They were massive. For a run like that, you're doing it, you obviously need a good session, room, don't you? Yeah, you do. doing and look, I think we, like I said, because there was nothing else to do, it was a little bit like the crazy gang, you know, we're going up to Bushes to, to Newcastle and the North East on a, on a Saturday or a Tuesday night or whatever, and then on the way home, like, you could have a bevy then you got off and there was no pubs open, There's nowhere to go, it was <laughs> like, what, what do we do now, you know what I mean, like, can you go round the block again a few more times? <laughs> but, uh yeah, I think that's what built the group. Like I said, it, fe- it did feel like we were on a camp. It felt like we were on some kind of international camp. It f- we felt very much in our own little bubble and it, it really brought out a lot of the characters and, and some, of the, some of the crazy cats that we had in, in the group.
1: Obviously, with the times that it was in, so with COVID and stuff, was it? did it have to be tested or anything before all the games or was it just crack on?
2: Yeah, we had to be tested before a few of the games. Obviously, lads were... With not back in work to an extent. So some some places were open, some places weren't. So they were obviously being tested, depending on what they were doing for the living as well. But we had to test ourselves before we left for Wembley um, on the morning, the, the day before. We were traveling up. We were staying, doing some training at Derby County's Grant and then traveling up, staying overnight. And obviously the game was was twelve o'clock. Of course, was twelve K off the next day. So we all had to uh, test ourselves. The swabs went like a little bit wide of the mouth <laughs> before they went in, yeah. the, in, the, uh, in the, <coughs> the testing on, on tube on that Friday morning. There was no way no way anyone was missing that game.
1: Yeah. Imagine that though, actually do, you're doing the test and then finding out right, you're positive and just not being able to go. No, <laughs> there was no way that was happening. The, uh, the build-up to it, the build-up to, to Wembley was that, was that like surreal. Was it more like, I said it to Macca tonight when we were talking about the FA Cup. Because obviously the FA had involved and the, the, yeah. the tellys involved, so it was all regimented as to what you can and can't do and what you. Yeah, you so need to uh, be in.
2: The build-up obviously started at the full-time whistle of the semi-final. Now because of the what had happened with Hebburn and the match re- being rearranged, you normally get two weeks from this, at least two weeks from the semis to the final. Because our semi quarter-final being pushed back and then our semi pushed back, we only had a week. Yeah. So the week was absolutely manic. On the one day. And Sunday was a write-off, as sure you can you imagine. <laughs> On the Monday, we met at the club and literally as we were working through looking at options for hotels, we got an email off the FA to say, I think it would almost been whispered anyway that it was going to happen. Basically, we're, we're amalgamating the two seasons and we're going to do points per game and we've been promoted. And I was like, Oh yeah, great! Quite okay, right now. Where are we staying? Yeah. What are we doing? <laughs> and it was literally the shortest live promotion celebration I've, I've ever fucking known. You know what I mean? It was just like right off sand. Okay, we'll be on. Let's just concentrate on what, yeah. we, what we've got to do. We went up, and to be fair, the club pulled out all the stops. We were staying at um, the Grove in um, just outside Watford, and it was the hotel that England normally use when they when they're playing internationals. It was, it was unreal. It was well too good for us. You <laughs> know what I mean? We all turned up like a like, Gang of scousers and Manx all rocking up, you know what I mean? It was like 600 quid a night hotel. Um, which was quite <laughs> sorry, down there, must have been looking, thinking, What's going on? What's going on, on here? Yeah. But they definitely were the night after the <laughs> Wembley, I don't know that, but yeah, we, we rocked up. And to be fair, it the, the club basically said, Obviously, there was a, there was a lot of um money on the line in terms of competition payouts and the prize money and the club basically said you know what a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity we're not going to try and save this money towards anything else let's go and enjoy ourselves whatever we win we'll f- spend a lot yeah and, and we definitely did that <laughs> definitely did that
0: speaking i know you touched on, on elliot Nevitt as well and um, before we, we go into the vars and, and winning it and stuff did you know when watching him throughout that season that he was probably too good for that level
2: yeah, he had a lot of raw attributes and a lot of a lot of skills that <coughs> are very transferable up the leagues. Um, there was certain parts of his game that he needed to work on. We worked with him quite closely on them. I think he'll probably admit it himself when he come back just before the Shielding game we were sort of going through that pre- mini pre-season. He wasn't in a good shape at all, you know, f- in terms of physically fit, in terms of football, he, w- he wasn't in a good place. His brother does quite a lot of bodybuilding and he, I think he'd been... Doing weights with him, quite heavy weights. And we sort of did a little bit of a fitness test on the first day back and said, like, let's see where people are. Did a little 12 minute run, and Elliot pulled up and his back was killing. Um, I said, What have you been doing? He's like, I've been, been fucking deadlifting 200 kilos. I was like, Well, enough. well <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, before we go and play footy, yeah. like, you're deadlifting like near enough of a quarter of a metric ton. Your, your back's going to be fucking sore, mate. You know what <laughs> I mean? So, but like, he's it, it, a great lad. He's, he's one of the best lads he, he wants to win he's got a desire to improve and better himself and I think if you look at his physique and, and his ability and how much he's changed since going into that full-time environment it's massive but I'd like to think that we played a part in getting to the point where he could go and achieve that as well in terms of just some, some coaching some simple stuff that we went through with him but look what he achieved it in, in that final at Wembley, he was always going to get some kind of move. That was, you know, we walked into the changes at, at the end, and we was like, "He's definitely gone, aren't he? And it was like, "Yeah, he's gone." <laughs> he's just, stood, just like
1: stood on the side, thinking, oh, "I've got to find a new
2: No, no, I think at that point it wasn't <laughs> there. Hadn't yeah. quite at home. Yeah, uh, like I said, that, that the last sort of six minutes, I think, I had a time at the end of it that felt like an eternity. Um, it was a horrendous feeling, but then obviously once it, it's done, it's sort of. All sort of fades away, doesn't it? Yeah. You can't really remember too much about the game and whatever. But I think we we said seeing the staff and whatever we said um straight after the game, he's he's gone, definitely gone. I've yeah. good luck to him. Um, I think at the time in, in the new Wembley, he was only the second person, who, or the, the only two people who'd ever scored at the at, the, at the new Wembley, was him and Harry Kane. Yeah. And
0: so he's not in bad company, is he? You know
2: what I mean? I definitely he definitely wasn't going to be playing for Ireland the year after. Remember he
0: put that. Wasn't on. you the? Vein? There when he first played as a striker as well because he was a centre-half yeah, used to be, so
1: when we were in college he used to be a centre-half yeah. Yeah. so so saying so to before we went and like the first year he was just he was like a kid and he was just dead small dead skinny kid and then we went for the summer and then come back in the September and then come back and he was massive this big unit and you look and you're just thinking is he the same kid and then randomly just some, on one day he just said oh, put me up front went up front and then obviously he's never looked back yeah
2: I think he could do a job different. Like I said, he was in terms of the attributes that he had, he was intelligent and he had a good football and brain, which is mm. always transferable to playing in different positions. Obviously the physique he had anyway, he was physical, he was strong, he was aggressive. So whether you're playing up top or, or the centre half, it, yeah. it, there's a lot of same same traits and skills that you're looking for. Mm.
1: He, um, I remember seeing that picture that he put up on Instagram straight after the game and there's like a man of the match champagne, the ball. Yeah. and something else and it must have got like it must have got a, over a, like a million likes or something like that it was like unbelievable picture to see, especially when you know him as well I still
2: think the best bit was when he swore on BT like <laughs> on BT and that was the best when he's uh, <coughs> fucking something or fucking something else it was just uh that's just typical Elliot yeah. you know what I mean it was uh, it, I think that's the beauty of it as well as obviously being on BT and, and, and being a showcase at Wembley it, it shows how raw it is as well and that these are real lads you know what I mean it's not
1: yeah. Usually, when someone swears, on the telly, they're like, "Oh, sorry." It, yeah. He just, I don't even think he realised. Yeah, I he think it, on,
2: the amount of messages he had when we got back to change. Like, you just swore on VT? <laughs>
0: <laughs> on to the Vars, then uh, talk us through that day because obviously, what was it like first for you as a manager walking out at Wembley with your side?
2: I think the experience, the whole experience, literally from 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 being at the club on the Friday. To, to obviously the end and and certainly the party after the it was probably the best experience in my life. Taking away obviously the the family type activities, you know, daughter being born and whatever. But it was the best experience in my life. It was it was it was fucking unreal. It really was. Obviously leading the team out was massive, massively proud moment for me. We like I said, we worked our bollocks off to get there. Um and it, it like I said, you'd almost felt like for long periods of time, it was always get to Wembley, get to Wembley, get to Wembley, and then when you got there, it was like, no, we gotta, we gotta win it. There's no one just coming here. Yeah, yeah. You gotta win now. You gotta, and then it was almost like, cause no one puts any more pressure on you than you put on yourself. I'm sure you have both been in that situation where you, you just wanna do the best you can all the time, and to lead the lads out um, was a, was a, was an unbelievable feeling. And then obviously to through the game, obviously I felt quite comfortable through the game. We went 1-0 up, um, pegged back, 2-1 two, nil, two one up, um, half-time. Then we scored the third goal. I thought, this is us, because defensively we're solid. You know, we're not going to concede. And then we conceded <laughs> <laughs> another goal. And I was like, fuck, this is going to be horrible. And then there was 20 minutes or so, and we sort of just looked quite comfortable. We, we looked a bit of a threat on the break, quite comfortable. They had quite a lot of the ball in that sort of spell of the game. And then... Um, the last six minutes as soon as you uh, I seen him like so, I seen him put over six minutes and I was like oh no I can't I can't last six minutes <laughs> and then I think there's an element of you don't know what to do with yourself and literally as I'm sitting in the technical area on, on my own I was like look down there's literally a fella with a camera lit, like three yards away just pointing at me face and I'm thinking oh my god I'm going to be live on BT <laughs> fucking swearing or doing something <laughs> stupid in a minute if we concede um, mm. So if we concede I'm going to hit the volume the we'll volume of the camera yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, I think look, the, the lads the lads sorted out and that feeling at the end. I still never actually watched it back.
1: I remember watching it, I watched the game and obviously after it, I don't know why you remember too much of it. But I, I always I can, you and your staff, you didn't actually like obviously all the lads were bouncing up and down but you looked like you was more asked about the fact like your family and that and the crowds and stuff like that. I yeah, you got your doors about the crowd, didn't you?
2: Yeah, it's hard to get me doors 'cause she was crying her eyes out. Um she was saying, like to, like, to my mum and my dad and whatever, saying, oh, you know, what happens if daddy doesn't win? What happens if daddy doesn't win? And when we did, she was so relieved. She was crying around no. so She was, like, literally like in floods of tears. So I was trying to get her out the crowd to, to obviously settle her down a little bit. But that's the thing that people don't get, like, non-league and grassroots. It's not just you. It's not. It, it does impact your family and whatever. And I know that a lot of the time, like... The girlfriends and all that, they'll, they'll pretend they're not interested, but it's a big part of your life, yeah. isn't it? And it, it does involve people. And obviously, when we went on that type of journey that we went on, um, the amount of support that we got was, was was unreal. I think the club sold about 1,600 tickets. I think there was probably about 4,000, 5,000 people in there at the time when we kicked off, probably another thousand or so by the time we finished, because obviously the 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 F H trophies on after after the VAR yeah. So do you start to get like the head of it and the Hornchurch fans coming in as well. So the noise was just something else. The noise was fucking it, you, I was I was stood. I was screaming at the right back and he couldn't hear me, you know what I mean? Yeah. But um some grand as well, is it? it? I've never I've never known anything like it. Obviously being tough like big grounds, Goodison, Danfield, Old Stafford and that over the years, but Wembley's just something else. We literally we after, after obviously <clears throat> we got changed and whatever, and having a bevy in the changing rooms, which were fucking massive as well, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> um, we come out, we were literally walking for ten minutes. We that we asked, like we were trying to meet in the pub. We were trying to meet family and friends, and he said, "Oh, you have to go down here." So we were literally walking. I didn't realise we were walking here for about ten minutes, and we were still inside the ground underneath. And we, because we were walking from one end of the ground to the yeah. other, to where that end of the pub was, where the pub was. But it was like fucking we are still in the ground here, you know. <laughs> still actually in the ground, but um yeah, it's it's a it's an unbelievable stage and the pitch. the everything about it me was just it was just something else. It
1: was the massive when you're acting like you didn't understand watching. It must have been unbelievable from the side and
2: there's no end to it. It doesn't uh, it, like you are looking up and you're thinking fucking hell, like, where, where's the top? And some of the pitches... It was it was weird how fast the, the day went. So obviously we've been preparing for it. We got to the hotel on the Friday after training at Derby. Just did like a little bit of shape work, a little bit of ball work, trying to relax the mood, a little bit at Derby. Drove down to the hotel, and then before we went for something, so we we actually did all the the prep for the next day. So we actually told them the team, we told them set piece routines, what we were doing, went through the full repertoire of what you'd normally do on a match day. Did that on the day before with the intention of going through the same again, just to give those messages a little bit more time to sink in. And literally, when we got to Wembley, we got there about two hours before kick off. And by the time we'd been out and just like fucking stared at the seats for for, for then, what felt like five minutes, we come back in. It was like fucking, I'm gonna be out on the pitch in fifteen minutes to warm up. The lads hadn't even started getting changed yet, so, so literally it was a good job we went through the information the day before. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't have known. <laughs> <laughs> They've just been like, "Go on, lads, get out." Like, like Macpherson style.
1: Is that like all regimented as well? What time you've got to be out on the pitch to warm up? Yeah, so we literally
2: in? we literally got um, a sheet that, that basically said, "Team uh, like zero minutes kick off." T minus one minute, national anthem. T minus three minutes, stood yeah. there. T minus five minutes, stood at checkpoint one. T minus whatever. So it was massively, massively, minute-by-minute reg, reg, minute regimented from oh, 45 minutes before kick-off.
1: All that, All that on national telly as well. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Was that, was that difference as well, playing, obviously, the biggest game of their lives, biggest game of your managerial career, and it's under the cameras as well. You know, everyone at home, could it make you watch watching you, could be scrutinising it, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Yeah, I think it probably it was. And what probably made it a little bit more sort of it made you realise how big and how important it was obviously we, we did quite a, like a lot of as much as we could analysis on our position before we went into big games when we went into the quarter final against Hepburn because they played at Wembley on the Monday and we recorded obviously the game to so be we able to see the game from so many different angles from BT cameras yeah. compared to what you normally see where you stood there with the notebook writing the stuff down and trying to take videos with your phone I think that made you realise this is, this is big you know what I mean in yeah. terms of Seeing how, how you prepare for those different games And obviously You're aware of the, that you're on BT It's something that you're talking about when you're going into the game But as soon as you start going through The prep and the detail, all your focus is on is on The match and, and making sure the lads have got All the information they need
1: What are you like as a manager then? Are you the shelter or are you the like, Calm, collected Just to take it in or
2: um probably um, I can not be quite animated I think on the sidelines mm-hmm. in terms of shouting and, and passing instructions on I think I think a lot of it will depend on on the group that you've got in terms of trying to change your response um, for them I think at Rylands we've always had quite a young group and mm-hmm. Sort of when I was sort of complaining, com- you know what I mean. You always had those experienced leaders, those lads who were audible, you know, and the f- didn't shut up for for ninety minutes, and you're walking off thinking, i now rather be sat with yeah. my bed than this," you know <laughs> what I mean? But <laughs> that's that's a, a skill set that's gone in the game now. Yeah. No, like it, that's not a valued, you know, when you go and watch it a game at the park or you know, you know, whatever, and you hear someone talking, like people don't value that as a skill set anymore in terms of passing that information on. I, I, I end up fucking screaming man on and open up and you know it's more instructional than anything else and but I think you the more experience you get the more games you get under the belt you you do change your approach obviously I'm not saying you don't don't start screaming on and shouting at the players and whatever they're trying to get the best out of them but you get more into the game in terms of a technical and tactical point of view rather than just screaming at people to to, to be
0: better Did you feel like then the last season after the Vars at Rylands there was even more pressure on you, so obviously you've been promoted, you just won the VARs, everyone's eyes, pretty much in the city, was on this side, that were that doing bits.
2: Yeah, there was an element to that, I think obviously there was a lot of pressure, but like I said before, I think the biggest pressure we've ever had, is what we've put on ourselves, obviously you, you, you know what you, or you think you know what you're capable of, and you know how hard that you work, so you want to just try and achieve what you can. I think, going back on some of the stuff I talked about, in terms of the prep for the VARs, when, we came back to training in the March when everyone else got told basically that the league was over <coughs> we knew that obviously all we were concentrating is next Saturday next Saturday next Saturday the Vars the Vars and then obviously it took us about a week to get over that in terms of the party and the hangover from that so when we come back it was almost like right next season now a lot of teams had been speaking to players for three months uh, and nail people down in terms of contacts and, and agreements and whatever else so we always knew going into that season uh, almost like our strategy for Recruitment was around. We'll bring a couple of players in, but we'll we'll, we'll have to build as we go. So it might be maybe one or two players coming yeah. in every 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 sort of month or two. and That's what we did. I think um, we hung in there. We were always in the sort of the playoff spots, early doors. <coughs> a couple of bad performances, a couple of bad results as you'd expect, a couple of good ones as well. Um, then we brought a couple of players in in sort of late December going into early January that, that probably transformed us quite a bit. We completely changed our playing style and philosophy. It was probably in the October on the back of a bad run. Um, changed our formation. We changed to a back three from a back four. And we started to put some of the building blocks together in terms of what we wanted to do and what, what we wanted our identity to be going forward. And then, like I said, when the players, when those players with a little bit more quality and a little bit more experience became available sort of January time, we brought them lads in, and they made a massive difference. And so they bought into what we were trying to do from a coaching point of view. And I think the recruitment at that point was a little bit more targeted, as opposed to just getting a good player. Yeah. Get a good player who plays the way you want him to play. You know, when you <coughs> we were fortunate in some ways that obviously things didn't work out for, for certain players or other clubs. You know, you like dean Dean and you were signed for Malty. So that's got fifty-eight international caps. She played most of his most of his sort of career in the Championship and League One. Um, and bringing someone like him and he just revolutionised the group it just really transformed the way that we wanted to play obviously he's one of those type of players who's really technical and good on the ball and I think from January I think we we won 15 14 out of 17 games sort of in the run into the league and obviously the the last game was, was a draw and that was a roller rollercoaster in itself in terms of that last game when we had to win it to win the league but we went in and literally from, from January I think it was the first January, di- or January the first or second we played witness away and we literally scored the 97th minute and then from that point we literally went on a run of, of winning 14 out of 17
1: Sometimes you need that as well don't you, you know, like, an, like a last minute goal Yeah you, think, it's like, it's, you come back here everyone's fucking hyped and all and you think yeah we can, we can we can, actually we can actually play football we can actually do something
2: Yeah it was and, and in that run I think the thing that sort of built the confidence it was we had games in that run where we were winning 1-0 and we scored like literally a last kick winner we had games where we went and blew teams away 6-0 5-0 7-2 and then obviously we had games where you know we scored like a, a 70 minute penalty and we were hanging on for dear life in the last five minutes yeah and i think when teams are picking up points week in week out and they're picking up three points and winning games if they're doing it in a variety of different ways, I think it gets the player's confidence that they can deal with any type of situation. Yeah. You know, because you, you, you can see an nearly goal and all of a sudden, for the last 10 games, we've only been winning. So it's a different experience. And I think the more of those experiences you can come to, the better the, yeah. the team is and
0: the better the group is. So when you think back now to everything that you achieved at Rylands, did you expect to achieve that much? Like so many promotions, winning at Wembley and stuff like that.
2: No, I don't. I don't think you can ever expect to do those type of things. I think what you what you expect of yourself is to put things into place, or the building blocks into place. The the sort of organisation, um, the coaching, the plans, all that type of stuff that we try to do. I think you're always trying to. Always say to to the lads that we want to try and act with the level we want to be at, not act at the level that you are. at. And I think if you're doing that sort of... And look, obviously it's got to be relative because your contact time with the players is sort of two hours a week in training and, you know, you haven't got them full time. So, but things like opposition reports, plans on a match day, um, spending time doing set pieces, all that type of stuff, it it does all add up. And obviously the the more and more professional you can make it, the better. But I don't think we ever expected to achieve everything we did. We just went out and sort of looked at the game and get game by game and tried to win every game that we played.
1: Obviously you're not there anymore. We'll go into <laughs> politics and all reasons why. Um Is it we we were speaking before, weren't we, about not being in footy? Yeah. Is it tough being out of it?
2: Yeah, it it yeah, it fell off with it a little bit. Um like I said, because uh, you're talking about obviously promotions and Wembley and all that type, but take all that stuff away from it, it it's kind of a little bit irrelevant whether you're being successful or not or if you're, if you, if you're any good or not it, it, it's how much effort and, and work you put into something yeah. and then when obviously when that's not there anymore it is tough to adjust obviously when you're working through it you know, you know that you're spending a lot of time you're probably thinking I probably need to not have a night off tonight and go out yeah, with the birds with with f- yeah. yeah. <laughs> and all that um, or I, I need to try and do some of my day job yeah. or whatever <laughs> it is but and you're know, always obviously conscious of that uh, in terms of getting the right balance but when it's not there anymore that's when you really notice it yeah. and it's not just the contact time so obviously when you're having you know staff meetings when you're having training sessions when you're having prep for games when you're having the games itself the pint after the game it's not just that the contact time it's the constant thinking do we play him or do we play in? Do we switch to shape? Do we yeah. play a different way? How are we going to stop their centre forward who scored 25? It's all that type of stuff that suddenly that's not there anymore. And so, it's, and it's mad that it's not gradually, it's, it's literally gone, it's gone. overnight, yeah. yeah. Um, and like I said, it was, it was look, it was a disappointing end to the way that things sort of went about and at the back end of the, uh, sort of start of the season at the back end of the Rylance journey. But I've, I've always said to the to obviously the players that we had there and to the staff the. That were there as well. That look, we just need to look at back at the four years we had in terms of the positives and almost discount the the way it ended. Yeah,
1: is there a level that you're looking at and thinking that's the level I want to go back in, or you know, you're you not asked. Um, obviously I want to
2: I want to try and challenge myself at, at a level. Um, and whether that's the level that, that they've just left, one above, one below that sort of level. Yeah. Um, obviously you're always mindful of your own journey I you know, wasn't a, a, a pro footy player so you can't start going in and demanding that you get a job in confidence north, confidence that type of stuff yeah. so you've got to earn your stripes in a different way obviously so I just, I'm just more interested in the project and the club yeah. than than the league it, it, to a degree obviously you want to be part of something where, where the club's ambitious where they've got half these facilities where they want to try and improve and them better themselves and you want to go in there into a club that's got the same mindset as you and, yeah. and the staff that you want to take in. So that's probably the the more important than the level that they're at now. But obviously, you do want to try and test yourself as well. I've
1: that
0: a question? We go when you're looking at obviously a new club and stuff. Um, do you not think that high, even higher up than what you've been in, would take a punch on you given the success you've had at such a? The, the, at the bottom of the pyramid and you've, what you've done do you not think a, a club would look at you and think Where have a punt this
2: I think uh, possibly uh, possibly I mean I don't know um, I think in non-league you go through stages don't you where, where you're seeing trends with, with recruitment in terms of managers and stuff and you're seeing you'll see teams where they're, they're going out and recruiting that ex-pro footy player who played in the championship or played in the Prem and they might be really good at what you do in terms of management, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, you, that you've you got those transferable yeah. skills. Um, but obviously clubs do want, at this level, any type of big name or any type of attraction where you're bringing another 50 people through the gate. That can be a big difference yeah, to any yeah. club. So I think there's an element of clubs will <laughs> always try and bring in the right person, but sometimes the priorities can be different depending on yeah, where yeah. the clubs are. Um I'd like to think that someone will take a punt on on me at some point and and, and on the staff as well but you know you've got to wait and see and see what happens and like I said that the challenging thing is with football for you to get a chance someone's got to lose lose their job and yeah. at some point you know somewhere along the line I know it might be the fact that someone's moved to a new job but someone's losing a job somewhere along the line so it's it, it's quite a challenging thing because obviously Football uh, non-league level is is like a bit like a family, you know what I mean. You do help each other out and and sort of pass information to all players and whatever. So the thought of someone losing their jobs, not not particularly nice. But you know I am desperate to get back in.
1: You've obviously you've built yourself a um, like a backroom staff, haven't you? With, with, in terms of Rylands, the were they massive in terms of the foot? The f- across the four years and stuff?
2: Yeah, of course. I, I think obviously you need people you can trust in any walk life, don't you? You know what I mean? You surround yourself with good people and, and you get good things. Um we had some great staff, obviously Fraser, Fraser Abbott was with me from the from the very start from day one, um as an assistant manager, really good coach. He's obviously learnt on the job like like myself in terms of the management side and, and the assistance to that side. Um but he he, he was been massive across the whole journey. We were really lucky to bring in a guy called Tim Lees as one of our coaches. Tim's background, he's sort of been at Wigan, Watford, Liverpool. So we we're really lucky to have him. He'd moved over to the States to to, um, to coach a, a pro side over there. And then he'd come back because obviously, sort of family life and mm. whatever else. So he'd come home and the job that he had, sort of normal job, so to speak, he couldn't, when he was going in sort of full time work at, at clubs, the, the money's just not. Fell out of football, sort of League One, League Two level. So it was an element of where, where he see, saw himself in terms of his career. So we were quite lucky to get him in. Um, he revolutionised the way that we thought about sort of coaching and, and, and moving things forward. And then we had other lads in, like like Jack Hawke, um, as, as a junior coach who was, was still learning his trade and he, he's moved on leaps and bounds. He's gone into Scam now um, as a first team coach. We had Mike Smith, who's also a Scam as an assistant manager. Um, Dave Hughes Who did a lot of the analysis And a lot of the um, the coaching Around set pieces um, So he's just got a job at Everton Doing doing some some analysis at Everton So Aaron Cameron Goalkeeper coach He's doing Everton 18s and 23s So th- the calibre of people That we had In and around the staff At the time uh, Was through the roof
1: If there was something So obviously Coming from um, The back end of playing At will Just like helping out With the gaffer and that To now is there something Is there anything You look back on And you think I wouldn't have done that Or I should have done this differently Or anything like that I don't think so I don't uh, Look obviously. Like any re- like, More like a note Any regrets type of thing I don't think so Look obviously
2: There's certain things I wish I might have done differently Or whatever Or might have gone a different way But um, every, every defeat you ever have You, you know <laughs> Wish you'd have know, picked a different yeah. team Or, or <laughs> done it out In a different way But I think Those we, we always said that when, when you do lose games and um, we, we did have a, a couple of defeats where you're losing like 3-0 and things have just gone drastically wrong on that day. I think we've always said that always treat any defeat like a lesson and, and do it, sort of a forensic review. Of what happened on that day? Why did something go so wrong? Why do we lose a game of football? And Obviously trying to improve. Sometimes the answer was... It just happened and they were yeah. better on the day. There's nothing you can do, but sometimes it, we, we made changes on the back of it, whether that be personnel, shape, formation, the way we played, whatever it was, or preparation for games the warm up, little things like yeah, that yeah. that you try and look into. So I don't think there's any massive regrets. Like I said, there's obviously made mistakes, plenty of them, whether that be selection or, or decision-making that I made um, myself, but it, it makes you what you are, don't you? You've got to Absolute learn from those. Reason, though, yeah, sometimes it does, and look... It's hard when things aren't going your way and you're going through a tough spell, but that's probably what makes
1: you. We always usually finish. So any young coaches who who are listening, any advice for them, like starting off in football or anyone who's out there struggling, have you got any advice that you'd pass on or anything like that? Just probably just work your nuts off and do it your way.
2: Look, ultimately, you know, some people will be successful, some people will fail, but be true to yourself and just do things your way and yeah. if, if that's not good enough for the club you're at then you'll get an opportunity somewhere else but don't try and be someone else don't try and do be something that you're not
1: yeah terrific yeah. <coughs> listen um, I know when we first started this we were asking people who do we get on and stuff like that and your name come up loads and I when you
0: come in, I appreciate you said it's not your type of thing, so we really appreciate you coming on. No yeah, cheers, uh, nice, nice, one. nice one appreciate you it. How you doing? If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to leave a like <clears throat> and a subscribe. Um, do go and check out AFC Nosley and get some of this merch. Um, Mike will be very happy if someone goes and buys some merch. Um, it's on the AFC Nosley website, but if you're listening on YouTube, do leave a like and a subscribe. Spotify and Apple, uh, do leave a rating for us, it's absolutely flying. Reached Azerbaijan and America. Doing quite well, <laughs> and Saudi Arabia as well. So um, must be listening to us before before like, all the World Cup and that That's kicks off, Jay. But yeah, a nice one too, for coming on. Nice one for listening, everyone, and, and yeah, you for listening from the side. And we'll be back again next week.